Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Real quick before we start the show, just wanted to let you guys know you can get the show two days early by joining our Patreon. Even for a buck, you can listen to the show two days early. Go to Patreon.com slash Analog Talk, and we got a bunch of stuff over there. Check it out, and uh, yeah, enjoy the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Analog Talk, a film photography podcast. I'm your host, Tim. I'm Chris. And today on the show, we have the legend, Ray Barbie. Hey, Ray. Hi, Ray. (laughs) Hi, you guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. I know Timothy's fangirling over here, but uh, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, when I when I hear legend, it means all. No. So. <laughs> By no means, I don't mean it like that. Yeah, we mean it in the good way. The good way. No, no, I'm saying for me. Uh, that's, what I always th- that's what that's what I always think. Man. So Ray, can you um, do us a favor and introduce yourself to our listeners and kind of give them the story and how you got started and all that stuff? Yeah. So um, my name's yeah Ray Barbie, and I live in Long Beach, California, with my wife Stephanie and our two sons, Nolan and Maxwell. And Nolan's going to be eighteen here wow. in a few days, wow. and Max. Ma- Maxwell is 13. <laughs> so, and yeah, I'm very grateful to be able to have chased my dreams and become a professional skateboarder when I was 17 years old. And that's still what I do to this day. Um, but because of the community and the culture of skateboarding, I was afforded the resources and the environment to explore other interests, which is uh, playing music. I love to play guitar and photography, hence why I'm on this show. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) And so got into skateboarding when I was 12 years old. And I grew up in San Jose, California. And uh, my buddy Danny that I hung with, one summer in between sixth and seventh grade it was his birthday and his dad who used to skate in the 70s got his son danny a skateboard my friend and when he got that skateboard and he's riding that skateboard and i'm on my bike i was like i want one of those (laughs) he's having way more fun than me so that's kind of what started it and it was at a time when you know the late 70s the park era's public skate parks closed down because of insurance premiums insurance Mm. skyrocketed the rates right and so these owners couldn't keep the doors open so late 70s all these parks get torn down and then skaters still wanting to skate transition start building ramps in their backyard and i came in i got into skateboarding at the tail end of the backyard ramp era and around 84 
five. I broke my wrist skating this one ramp, and while I had my cast, parents took my skateboard away no. from me. But <laughs> my 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 buddy had a ex a backup one, but we couldn't go skate the ramp, so we were skating street a lot. And during that time of skating street, that's when I realized that wow, this is what I want to be doing. I want to be out in the streets skating because it was so uncharted shores, if you will. So to a certain degree, like we had, we had street skaters that we saw in the magazine, but um, because there were such few photos of street skaters in Thrasher magazine and Transworld back then, it was mostly ramps. Um, there were guys like Tommy Guerrero, Mark Gonzalez, and uh, Nadas Coppice. We had those guys, but not much outside of them. So it was a, it was a kind of big, empty kind of canvas, if you will. And there was something about that that was just really exciting. The idea that we didn't have a long list of tricks that we had to learn. Mm. There was a few and then it was just open. So that was just really exciting, you know? And so so we progressed in skating street at a pretty fast rate, if you will. And when I was in high school, I moved from San Jose to Southern California to Tustin. And when we moved to Tustin, I was in the backyard of pretty much the skate industry and skating with all of all the pros that I would see in the magazine. And from being out in Southern California and skating with everybody, I got the opportunity to be asked to ride for one of the biggest skateboard companies at that time, which is called Pio Peralta. And was in a video around 1988 called Public Domain, where I was featured with a few other skaters street skating and and that was the first time people on a big scale because of how big Pal Peralta was at the time and because of how far their videos pushed out people saw this approach to skateboarding and it allowed me to turn pro when I was 17 still in high school and again very grateful that being a part of that team and with those guys the Bones Brigade it played a huge part in why I'm still around to this day and have opportunities and still able to, um, I guess, technically be considered a pro skater, whatever that looks like <laughs> at this point for me. <laughs> Man, so did your did your parents ever give your board back or were they just like, nope, no? Nope. <laughs> oh, yeah. Once the, once the cast was off, yeah. <laughs> they were like, we don't want you breaking that in the cast. Oh, again. yeah. You're breaking your other <laughs> arm or something. <laughs> Or you're right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Man. So. <laughs> That's so wild because I'm like a decade behind you. Like my my come up in the skateboarding world was like early 90s, mid 90s. And you guys already paved the way for what we were doing back <laughs> back at that point. <laughs> Man. So where did, where did you grow up? Were you in... Uh... Where are you right now? Now I'm in, in Nashville, Tennessee, but originally grew okay. up in the East Coast. I'm like a Grew up 40 minutes away from Philly, so it was the whole, like, Love okay. Park era of, of skating. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I have, a, I have a, a picture in my mind where, when you're saying in the 90s where you yeah, were. Yeah. yeah, that whole time. Yeah, that was a good time, man. That was a time when I felt like the East Coast was doing their yeah, thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's really cool. Matt Pales, Matt Reason. Mm -hmm. Tim O'Connor. Tim O'Connor, man, big fan. Yeah, man. I mean, we could go on. Yeah, and on. <laughs> yeah for for sure. <laughs> how did how did skating take you to photography? Since we're you know the the film photography podcast out here, we need. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> people are like, 
People are like, is this the slap message board? No, <laughs> no I love it, though, because we never get to talk about that stuff. We always rush into photography. I love hearing yeah. your background. And we, we also talked to a, quite a few skate people who are parallel. So it always it's fascinating to me to like see the parallels between those two worlds. We've talked to Jason Lee. Jason Lee. Yeah. Yeah, oh, a bunch of people. yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So I always say it this way, man. It's like, you know, it's all first off, it's all about accessibility. Accessibility mm. is everything. Yeah. Like and so skateboarding made these other interests accessible for me. Not only made it accessible, but presented it to me in a way that I could see the qualities of it and get excited about it. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is being on the other, you know, if we're talking about photography, being on the other end of the camera, growing up with so many amazing um, skate photographers, and at a time where they were shooting film, mm -hmm. and they had their own dark rooms. And if they shot for the magazine, whether it's Thrasher, Transworld, the magazine had a dark yeah. room. And you had you had certain guys that would go in and not only shoot, but then go print print their image and give it to the magazine, you know. And then the mags had their own printers that and everything. And so, growing up at a time where I'm exposed to that process and going out with like a Tobin Yeelan or Gabe Mulford and 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 you know getting when I say go out, we'd link up so that they could shoot a skate photo of me skating right and then the next time i see them them handing me a print uh, that they made in their yes. dark room you know what i mean and so or when they'd have like a art show or something seeing these prints hanging up on the wall that they made no different than vinyl growing up you know my dad uh, was a sax player you know um i say was because he passed away in in 97 but he he played sax and played played in a jazz band and and so I grew up with a lot of music around me and his record collection. Ugh. And so, you know, and again, in the 70s, listening to this stuff, I always say you can't be unaware of something. If you're aware of something, you can't be unaware of it. And I guess what I'm trying to say is my reference point musically with being aware of what vinyl sounds like, I can't be unaware of the inherent qualities of that needle on that vinyl, right? And I guess what I'm trying to say too is skateboarding, experiencing skateboarding photography, or experiencing photography through skateboarding at a time when they're making prints and stuff. Now I'm aware. I have an emotional connection to the inherent qualities of what I'm feeling from everything a part of this print, the emotional connection to the person on the photo, but then the way that it's expressed with the depth and the richness of the print and and then just having the utmost respect for the craftsmanship mm. of it. Like I was just as excited about these dudes doing it on their own than I was even the print itself. You know, it's like, man, you did this yourself, that DIY <laughs> mm -hmm. thing. Dude, yes. You know what I mean? So growing up with that, it gave me a desire, though it didn't happen till later, it was all that that informed the interest and the passion to eventually want to start shooting photos and making prints. I mean, there's a lot of things. Like I, I got to a point, like in probably in 95, when I was on a, a big tour, we were out for like two months and there was a bunch of us. It was like a firm van's tour kind of thing the skateboard team that lance mountain had formed called the firm and so and then and then van shoes and so 
we were on this long like u.s tour almost two months and like about a week in i was just like man i'm blowing it like i'm missing moments oh, yeah, like this yeah. is a special time mm-hmm. and and the photographer on the trip my friend joe brooke who was working for slap magazine at the time now he works for thrasher magazine i was telling joe i was like man i want to get a camera and he's like ray we're going to go. We're going to be in New York in about four days. I'll take you to a camera store called B&H, and I'll tell you the camera to get. And then sure enough, we got to New York. Right when we got there, we go to B&H, and then we go to the counter, and then Joe proceeds to ask for a Yashica T4 and paid probably 80 something dollars That's what for I was, was going to ask you that. I wanted to Brand know what you new. paid for it back then. <laughs> yeah. That is, T4 is one of my favorite cameras, so <laughs> yeah. I was dying to hear that story yeah that's rad and so yeah and the thing about the t4 what they were all hyped about because all of the skate photographers grabbed one and and i remember thinking it was kind of odd i was like why why are you guys all excited about this one point and shoot camera and they were just like it's got carl zeiss optics (laughs) and 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 i was like okay okay (laughs) yeah i was like all right and so um that t4 that i got on that trip you know, that was the start. That was the equivalent of me kind of seeing my buddy Danny skateboard and being like, mm. I want one wow. of those. I want to do that. That T4 was kind of, that was kind of the, the window into the desire to want to shoot photos and make prints. But it wasn't for years later till I got to the point of like getting a manual camera and then that being really tied to a desire to want to make, get in the dark room and learn how to print. Man. Like it, it was, it was interesting because that was the main pull was like, I want to learn how to make prints that I can get excited about. And it's almost like the print wanting to do the print was first, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's all, it's all wrapped up in there. Um, but that didn't happen. That didn't happen until, I don't know, what was that? Like 2008, maybe Wow. where I finally was like, cause I noticed this about myself. I see it even now where I'll look at things and be like, man, one day. One day I want to like learn that, try that. And my wife had this Pentax K1000 that she had from like just gotten in college or something. And it's funny because it would be on our mantle and that K1000, it represented the craft because I knew as much as I dug the T4 and shot with it religiously, if you will, forever, I knew that I wasn't doing what those guys were doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I started to see how, man, there were certain things that I wish I saw when I shot it. But when I got it back, it was a whole nother story. And so I knew that I was, there was a sense of like, I'm, I'm cheating. <laughs> <laughs> or, there, there, or there was a sense of like, you know what, this thing's making the decisions for me. Mm-hmm. And so that Pentax K1000, it represented the craft to me. It represented what my friends knew that I was like, man, one day I want to learn. but. I would look at that Pentax K1000. I would look on it on and off for like a good five years saying that to myself. But then what happens is then it just starts to get to a point where it's just like, okay, it's got to happen now because it just kind of starts to nag and eat at me and the desire gets stronger to be like, okay. And so when it was getting really, when I fig, I got back from a trip, I was riding for a clothing company out of, out of uh, uh, Sweden called We SC. And it was a skate camp that they were doing. And I had a digital point and shoot. And I remember just being so bummed about just the images and missing the latency yeah. that the, that digital camera had. And I missed the moment 
And um, I remember getting home from that trip and just being like, looking at the images and being frustrated and looking over at the Pentax K1000 and being like, okay, I want to figure this out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But the, but the thing I didn't have the answer for was that I wanted to print. I knew I wanted Mm. to shoot black and white and I wanted to get the dark room, make dark room prints. And so I didn't know the only people I knew that had a dark room that could possibly teach me were my friends, Ed and Deanna Templeton. But I knew that like, man, they're so busy. They're not going to be able (laughs) to hold my hand through Mm. learning how to print. And so it wasn't until I was skating you know, I was living, you know, gotten married, was married, you know, and living in Long Beach and skating Cherry, which is the local park here in Long Beach, where it's not a skate park, but the city lets us put, you know, it's it's like a love park when love park yeah, was allowing yeah. people to skate kind of thing. Right. And so I was just talking with some skaters and talking about photography and me saying like, yeah, I want to learn how to print. And they're like, oh, we print over at the Long Beach Community College. And we just had, we took one course for the beginning black and white. And from there, we just have access to the lab oh. and we just go there using the lab now. And then I was like, okay, there we <laughs> go. And so, <laughs> yeah. And so then I got online, signed up, but the semester wasn't for like another, it was still in the middle of the semester. So I couldn't hop into the next semester. So it was like, okay, cool. I, I, I saw the finish line. I saw where like, okay, I can get into print. So then it was like, I remember going to my wife and being like, okay, so how do you use this thing? <laughs> and, it, and it was funny because she was like, well, my teacher said, you put this knob here, you put this knob here, and you turn this knob to get the needle to line up. And basically it was just the, you know, aperture priority kind of setting, you know? And then I remember going out with that and just, I knew I could shoot color and get an idea of what I'm doing because I can go get that process at Costco or wherever. Yeah, yeah. And so I did, I, I did that until we got into, um, until the semester started. And then that's when the fun began. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, shoot, shooting was fun, but it is that Ansel Adams thing of just, you, you, you're seeing the print with what you're shooting, you know? Yeah. And so, so anyways, yeah, that's how a lot of that began. But again, I credit it from the community that I'm so grateful to have been a part of to this day that functions, uh, has so much talent and ability and being exposed to that, inspired by that. And the resource of being taught in that also, you know, having friends that because I respect their abilities, trusting uh, their input on what I'm trying to do. It's amazing how how giving the community is. And I i mean, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now if it wouldn't have been for friends that were looking out for me when I had questions. And yeah, you know, all the way back to even yeah. like skateboarding and stuff, just how like intertwined the, these arts are, you know, like I always looked at skating as an art. I've always looked at, you know, mm-hmm. music as a as an art and it's self-expression. The same with photography. It's I mean, I always wanted to be a painter, but I couldn't paint. So photography was yeah, like, I'm right yeah. there too. <laughs> photography was like the next best thing to get my like emotive process out. Like how you know how can I manipulate the yeah. scene to get? But yeah, you know, for 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 me, I, I never. I mean, I always admire painting, but I think I think for me, what I'm realizing is that my heroes, their approach to photography came more from painters, mm, yeah, than other photographers. Kind of like. You know, some of my, a lot of my heroes, um, musically jazz players like Wes Montgomery, he came more from 
piano dude guys like wanting to inspired and approaching it from a piano place and applying that to you know when i say a piano place a, a piano player's mm. approach to the harmony and and voicings of chords and he drew from that to apply that to the guitar and so i think for me that's where my emotional connection is to painting or desire nowadays to want to paint because it's through painting that all of my favorite photographers i feel have drawn inspiration from or apply what they're trying to do close to, more to that than this photography based kind yeah. of thing you know it just reminds me of the jazz guys it just reminds me of the jazz guys drawing from other instruments for their phrasing like when i say jazz guys jazz guitarists yeah mm. They, they, they drew from horn phrasing or drew from a, a piano player's voicings for chords and things like that. It's interesting seeing. I, I love how other things can inform other yeah, things. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. You know, I saw this, uh, this video um, of you right in the dark room and it got me excited because I, I like remember that experience, but I haven't really been in it like that in a very long time there's the the video where you guys were doing uh liquid emulsion on a skateboard oh dude love that video oh so yeah i it's funny yeah. i like when i first first started photography before i went to school for it i wanted to do like liquid emulsion on a drum head for yeah this, oh rad this the boy the guy that i was dating at the time and i never got to use it. i think i was like intimidated by like not getting it to work but when i saw that video mm -hmm. with the skateboard i was like it works it works <laughs> yeah. that's crazy yeah, it's like that... oh i want to try that so bad that was a fun experiment um that's my that's my buddy brian gaberman man what a beautiful eye just the you talk about craftsman like just a master printer and um brian's out in uh in uh, sebastopol california and him and his family have a farm out there and so one of the sheds it's a dark room yeah and so like yeah dream. we were able to i know yeah right <laughs> and so um yeah we got that was a process because you're basically right what a liquid emulsion does is it it turns any surface into photographic paper if you will mm -hmm. right and so what was really hard for us was to figure out how to manage contrast because you can't use filters not a multi-layered <laughs> It's like a fixed grade, if you will, like before they started doing multi-grade um, papers, right? And so a fixed grade, it's, you know, stuck to, to one grade. So you're getting one contrast, mm -hmm. right? And so what was really tough was to try to get uh, a decent contrast out of, and we learned that the density of the blacks has to do, do with the density of the emulsion. So, and, and, and we learned that brushing was too inconsistent. Mm. And that's how we found out when we brush it, there'd be a little more emulsion in certain places and those ones would be darker. And oh. so what we figured out, what we figured out is we had to pour it and then kind of tilt it and let it spread out. And it stayed a little more consistent wow. in its thickness. But there were like little things we had to do where you make the developer a little, you know, that trick of the developer is hotter than temperature, then it'll start to punch it a little yeah. quick, you know, yeah. uh, can punch it quicker than, you know. And so there was a lot of hurdles, but um, it was really cool at the end of finally kind of see it come together. Did you only do it on one board? Like, did you try and do No, we did like, we did probably 10 total, but the keepers were like six maybe. 
Wow. Yeah. But see, but the goal was to take it to my friend Sean Cliver, who drew my first graphic on Pal Peralta, the ragdoll, and have him draw a ragdoll on it. It was a panoramic shot where I left room for him to paint the ragdoll. Yeah, it came out so cool. Yeah, it um it was a heavy one for it was a tough one, I should say, for Sean because it's tough to paint on that emotion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. I love that. He was just like, I was just so worried I was going to screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he did great. And uh, yeah, it's a special one. I'm, I'm grateful to have it. But he snuck it to me. <laughs> oh, you got it. Oh, cool. Cool. I'm so glad. Yeah, I'm sorry. I have yeah. it. Yeah, I have it. Yeah. <laughs> so are you still, I mean, I know times are crazy now, obviously, with, with COVID and everything. But do you spend time in a dark room pretty frequently? Normally, I, w- I wish I had my own dark yeah. room. And so basically, I print at the Irvine Fine Arts Community Center mm. in the city of Irvine. So obviously, with all this going on, that's been closed. Yeah. And it's crazy because if I had my own setup, man, I probably have a show ready to hang right now. Really? <laughs> man. Uh. <laughs> yeah. But, but, um, so yeah, I really miss it. And I'm not sure what that's going to look like with that opening up. I know everybody you know? who's got at home, like, has a dark room at home right now, it must be in heaven. They're so yeah, high. Just having the time <laughs> right now. Jeez. Right now. Yeah. Man. Yeah. So has a has the virus stuff affected you at all with like skating or shooting or you know, I'm sure I know music isn't touring and stuff right now too. Yeah, well on the music and playing recording more and doing oh, cool, things cool. and so um and so yeah, being busy on that end of things. Shooting, yeah, not so much. I mean I, I have a project that I want to start working on and so and that's pushing towards more landscapey kind of oh, thing cool. um with with a x-pan and a 30 millimeter mm-hmm. lens for that x-pan and so i want to start working on that but typically how i shoot it's just documenting your life right you know and so you know and a lot of that is what i'm so thankful to have the opportunity to do which is travel and be a part of this community and doing things so you know, my, my family's at the point where they're just so over the camera and my boys are <laughs> my, my boys are at an age where I want to respect that, you know. So it's not too much shooting in quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so yeah, I miss it. And um but there's but there's projects and things. So I'm working on a project right now with, with Vans oh, and cool. Leica. Actually they're doing a, a shoe together and I'm a part of that. Oh no kidding. And so That's awesome. I'm putting in I'm putting images together for that and stuff. So there's like editing and some processing kind of thing. But skating, yeah, I would I'd go out by myself, but really try to adhere to just trying to be safe, mm-hmm. you know. I don't want to bring anything back with, for my family, you know, and to have to deal with um, virus-wise. And so just now, yeah, trying to get out a little more. But like most people, just dealing with gaining a lot of weight yeah, <laughs> yeah. amen quarantine 15 <laughs> yeah <laughs> quarantine 15 yeah except mine might be more than 15 maybe but but yeah so yeah kind of working on a music project right now and so man i'm oh, stoked nice. on that you've been you've been a part of my i do a daily walk i was i was recently sick with found out i was diabetic and all this stuff right before the whole quarantine mm. happened and i uh you know 
my doctor's like, you need to get exercise. You need to get out and do stuff. And it, you know, I used to skate every day. I'm definitely like almost 40. I'll be 40 at the end of this year. And I, it scares me to get on a skateboard now a little bit, you know, cause I'm just, not, I don't have the legs for it anymore, but, uh, just going for walks and stuff. I've really been jamming out to your, your older catalog of, of tunes, just stuff that I missed out in the past that I just didn't listen to, you know, and, uh, man, just like you, you have the perfect, tunes for for cruising out and like taking photos and just being like upbeat and like cruising i'm just really uh, thank really you, enjoying man. the music these days uh right on man so ray do you still have the t4 yes i do Ooh, ah! but 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 it's not the same one uh, yeah yeah they tend to wear out yeah he's had a bunch over the years but i do have one right now that i need to get back from my buddy <laughs> <laughs> i always wondered what they were what they were at, like how much they cost at retail it's crazy to think that you like went into a b and h and like bought one yeah it was under 100 for sure That's wild. i remember i remember that yeah and what are they going for now? I don't even like know. It's crazy. Four, four or five hundred. Definitely four. Yeah. 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 Or four dollars, depending. Yeah. You find You're right. <laughs> yeah. No, I've got that friend, man. I've got that friend where he's like, I got, I found this for ten dollars. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> you my know? dream. It's never happened to me. Not yet. Someday, hopefully. I've had it. I've had it happen with the. Oh, why am I going to space the name? Um, Olympus Stylus. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. With the the two point eight. Mm-hmm. And it's the little the little soap bar guy mm-hmm. that you can open it yep. up from. I found that for ten dollars at a at a Dude, Goodwill. Score. And um, but you know what? As cool as that camera is, I struggled with its lack of being able to focus on what I was trying to focus it on. It'd always be like the ear was hmm. in focus and the face was soft or something. Like I don't know if it was just that one in particular, but I remember. That was the bummer part about it. Um, it would miss focus, that autofocus thing. Yeah. yeah. I was just talking to Chris before we hopped on here. I've been shooting uh, one of those again, the the Epic. And I was taking some kind of long distance land sh- landscapey shots with it. And I've noticed that the, you know how when uh, the vignette yeah, or like the aberration too, like when the stuff starts to kind of oh. like turn in on itself on the corners mm. of the, mm. and I mean, I know you can mm-hmm. fix that and Lightroom or whatever, but you don't want to be doing that with your film photos. Nah, you know? I don't nah. be- <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, and you know what's funny? I, I, I had a there was, there was a moment. It's kind of one of those kind of revelation kind of moments where because I, I eventually early on with the with the Pentax K one thousand, I was just like, man, the moments that I want to capture, this mirror slap is just mm. way too loud, yeah. right? And then I remember talking with my one of my favorite photographers, John Humphreys. And I remember just kind of whining to John about like, man, this thing's so loud. And he's like, you need to get a rangefinder. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what's a rangefinder? <laughs> <laughs> and um, then when I go do research and find out uh, and then start and then realize like, you know what? That would be, that's what I need, a rangefinder. And then end up with a very fortunate to have my friend Robbie Jeffers. He saw me with a camera that I got from another friend. Um, Cause one of the things that was really cool about getting into photography and, you know, film at that and printing is all of my friends that are photographers that shoot for a living, they have to, they had to move on to digital, yeah. but they still had this emotional connection to their film gear. Mm-hmm. And because that stuff depreciated so much, they weren't just going to sell it for nothing. So they kept it. And then here I come along being all super excited <laughs> about printing and 
shooting film. And so they're just like handing me cameras and lenses to, to try out because they're excited about that stuff being used, not just sitting around, right. you know? And so I had a friend, my friend Ray Zimmerman, who's another, another great eye, really good uh, photographer, skate photographer. I mean, he shoots everything, but most people would know him as um, MRZ and um, shooting a lot of skateboarding, a lot of transition. And anyways, Ray was like, I'm t- I was telling him about like wanting a rangefinder, and he was like, well, I found this Minolta CLE in Texas one year on a job. And I didn't know if it worked, but I knew the lens was mm. good because the Minolta uh, CLE was an offshoot of the Leica CL. Like Leica and Minolta were in cahoots with each other for this like kind of, uh, I don't want to say entry level rangefinder, but it was definitely an Econo version yeah. of the rangefinder. It's a unique little thing. Um, and it's a 40, 40 millimeter lens, but it was known that the M Roker 40 and then the 40 Sumicron were the same lens. And so anyways, Ray picked that camera up, gave it, he, he, the camera that he picked up that he was telling me about that he got in Texas, he was like, you know, you can have it. I don't know if it works. And sure enough, it didn't work. But my man, Steve, at Steve's camera here in Culver City. I'm so thankful for him because he does such a great job servicing um, my cameras and anybody who has like a Hasselblad and mostly film cameras. And uh, he got it up and going. Yeah. And so I had this CLE nice. cruising around. And then it, and I ran into my buddy, Robbie Jeffers, who saw me with the CLE. And he's like, Ray, I've got an M6 that I don't wow. use. Why don't you take that thing? <laughs> yeah. He was like, why don't you take that thing? And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, man, I don't use it. He was shooting digital, you know? And so... I was getting ready to go with my friends. I was playing with my buddies, um, Jonathan and Jared. They have a band called The Matson Two. We did an album together, and it's titled Ray Barbie Meets The Matson Two. And so that album had just come out, and we were touring in Japan, and it was a pretty big tour. And so he gave me that M6 with two lenses. <sighs> and so there was a 35 lens and a 50. Oh, perfect. And That's perfect. Yeah, and so, set up right there. Yeah, I'm going out there with those two lenses, and it was funny because uh, you know, I don't do good with options. And so every morning, every morning in the hotel room, I'm like, what lens am I going to do? The battle. And so I, I started, I started with the 50. And then when I put the 35 on, spent a day with the 35. Then the next day when I was looking at the two lenses, I was like, nah, I like the 35. And so I guess what I'm trying to get to is that then, you know, I get back from the tour I was on assignment because my buddy Martin was working for this magazine called Giant Robot. It was an Asian culture magazine. And he was like, Ray, you know, you're excited about photography. Like you're telling me that you're going to shoot this tour, like shoot an article for the mags. So So I'm going out there being like, okay. And so I get back and I've got all of these like crazy various film stocks because Again, just like with the cameras, people were like giving me old film no and just way. like, here, Ray, I got all this Tri-X or tape. <laughs> I was all over the place. So when I'm at school processing this stuff, I'm like asking them at the school, like, what developer do I use for this? And I was so all over the place and I was getting, I was expressing that to Ray, my buddy Ray, um, that I'd mentioned. And I was like, man, like, this is frustrating. He's like, man, you need to stick with one camera, one mm-hmm. lens one film stock and one paper and one developer and just learn it. 
And it's funny because it's been X amount of years of that. I've never changed from that. But the lens that I committed to was the 35. And, and it's funny because years later, I'm like, wow, this makes sense because Basically, what I have is a glorified version of a T4. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that T4 has trained me to see in a 35 perspective. Man. (laughs) You know? And I was just like, oh, like making that connection was really interesting. Because it was like, you know what's so amazing to me about the 35 at least? Or... Or, well, yeah, like I always say, like my M6 is a fixed lens camera. <laughs> What's interesting about the 35, I think what I realized is that I, I was excited about the school of you don't crop yeah. in the enlarger. You know what I mean? You run your full borders. What you placed is what you saw at the moment. You know what I mean? And so a 28 would give me too much to manage. I couldn't get things. I couldn't exclude things in my frame and then a 50 was just too tight i always wanted a little more to work with and to play with you know so the 35 always sat really nice but what trips me out i guess what i'm trying to get at is that i had an opportunity to hang photos and and perform at leica's headquarters in wexler germany oh wow they did uh they built a hotel and a museum and a building for their cinema lenses there at the headquarters. And so for the grand opening festival celebration, yeah, they asked if I'd come out and be a part of it and perform, perform two days. But they were like, Ray, we'd like for you to hang your, your photos also. And so when I thought about like, man, what am I going to, what am I going to hang there? And like, for me, like all of my heroes come from that brand. You know, the legacy of that brand and my heroes from the, they love their, it's, it's like Fender to Hendrix and mm-hmm. yeah. Clapton's yeah. and whoever's, you know what I mean? And so I knew it was going to be modern because they said, we want you, we want you to be a part of this exhibition where the musicians are photographers. And so I knew like some of the other photographers were going to be hanging inkjets, you know, but the part of Leica that I have an emotional connection to is those guys that function through printing themselves, you know, or the master printers over at Magnum doing their work or things like that, you know? And so I'm very grateful that they allowed me to print, print my own work. But it's funny because I was trying to figure out what the theme would be. And I called it 10 years with one camera and one lens. And basically it was me trying to say like, I know I'm a newbie, in all of this, but I have put in a little bit of work, yeah. a li- just a little bit, but I wanted, but it was really important for me to try to represent that culture of um, the photographers that inspired me through with Leica, you know? And then I was like, I want to represent skateboarders because skateboarders aren't afraid to dig in and do the hard work. Yeah, like for sure. people would think that the craft of processing your own film and getting in the, the dark room and printing your own work like skateboarders excited about that challenge and <laughs> doing that i love that and so what i realized after looking over years of negs and everything editing it made me realize like i think i'm just scratching the surface of this 35 <laughs> like for there still to be this like wow there's still so much that can be done with this pretty it was surprising because i thought like man maybe it'd be time to move on you burn out on a focal <laughs> <one>. but <Yeah. laughs> 
but it's got more to do with this and, yeah, and this yeah, yeah. than the focal length. And, and you got your feet. So your feet will. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like that's so important, though. I, I, I feel like we've stressed that a couple times on the show, like one camera, one lens, one film stock, just mm-hmm. like making it, you know, and it is fun to kind of play around with new stuff. But I always have like now that I have a Leica, finally, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, uh, so jealous. So that, unfair. Uh, that it, you know, it's always loaded with the the, the Tri-X push to sixteen hundred. You know, thirty-five millimeter, like you, and and you know, I throw a little point and shoot in my bag with some color film in it because there's always that time when you're out and you're like, oh man, if I had color film right now. But mm-hmm. I just think to learn like your style and even being like honed in on the craft, I I wouldn't even need the light meter on my camera because I'm just so used to knowing and judging and there's so much latitude in film too. Like even if you yeah. are a little off, like it. <laughs> It's still, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, yeah. I think that's so yeah. important. And I'm, I'm stoked that you took 10 years to. <laughs> I mean, and it's a, and it's a personality thing. Like, cause my buddy Robbie, he gets excited about so much. He's got so many different cameras, so yeah. many different lenses and he does gr- and it doesn't hinder him. It, 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 it inspires him. And so it's a personality thing too. One thing that I see as a result of sticking with one thing for some time is when you're able to be familiar with something, then that gets out of the way when you're trying to get ideas out. Right. You've taken one one less equation. That's what I'm trying to get to is when you're sticking with one lens, one camera, one developer, one film stock, then you can be familiar and now you know what to anticipate. And the cool thing about sticking with one focal length for so long that even happens in your vision. Like I know what's in my frame yeah. before I even put the camera mm-hmm. to my eye. 100%. So it's all about familiarity. It's all about having, you hear people saying how they want it. You know, they would say that about Jimi Hendrix. Like that was an appendage for him. He was one with his guitar. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? It's that idea of getting that much closer to you. And so that uh, familiarity that's kind of what the desire is when you're trying to stick with one thing because what you're trying to do is become so accustomed to it that it gets out of the way and it becomes more closer to you and you just function without having to, you know, think about it and you can just keep concentrating on the idea or what you're excited about and then the rest is just, like, it'd be a bummer if we were like, we're hungry and we're trying to eat and we're sitting here still trying to figure out how to hold the spoon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so true. Perfect metaphor. We don't think about it. We, we just grab the spoon. Right. Let it know the posture yep. we need to sit. It needs to sit in mm-hmm. and scooping up. And it's getting that to that place with your equipment. You know, like if, if what you're excited about is the, the meal, if you will, then you just want to be like, okay, let's get yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not like, dang, what am, how do I, how do I hold which finger, how, what's the configuration on the holding it, you know? And it's nothing worse than getting getting like a new setup and being like so unfamiliar with it. Like it's a good yeah. feeling when you're just like, this is my you know, like appendage, yeah. like you said, like I'm just going to, it's an extension of me and I know where I'm going with it and stuff like that. But it takes time for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And then that time takes longer when you're trying to do that between multiple things. Right. At the same time, trying to learn guitar, drums, and bass at the same time. <laughs> you know what I mean? But people can do it. Yeah. yeah. It's That's why it's like, I'm just saying me, personality thing, or just things that I've kind of the hard way in a frustrating way have come to, <laughs> you know? 
man. I think that I think you need things to balance that out, though, because I mean, uh, I did the musician thing for years, too. And anytime I would take time away from my drum set, if the band I was playing with, we took a break for a while and then, you know, say a year later, let's let's get the band back together. Dude, my hunger for drumming and playing Mm -hmm. is so much more. Burnout is such a real thing. You know, if you just like put (laughs) all your pennies in one, you know, one basket, that's a horrible way to say that. I don't think that's a phrase. (laughs) But if you you know what I mean, you you go for it all on one thing, you you can really wear yourself out. So I I think it's important to have music and skateboarding or gardening and, you know, whatever, whatever it is that kind of keeps you going. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm I'm more speaking towards people who are frustrated with their progress or lack thereof. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm more, that's more of what I mean. It's like, because people can get discouraged and not really know why, but a lot of it can kind of, you can kind of see that, well, maybe you need to trim it down and just, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And you know how it is too, like, what they, what they call gearheads or, 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 um, uh, gear acquisition itis or whatever, you <laughs> yeah, know, it's like yeah. sometimes people are just so caught up on the next yeah. thing that's that's saying you're gonna it's gonna help you do this thing you never get to this thing that you're saying that you want that to do right you're just caught up you're caught up in you know getting uh it becomes a loop it does right that you don't realize or you apply you apply the progression to the wrong thing the progression's not what the marketing is telling you it is the progression's in the work ethic and you getting in there and doing it but there is this idea that this piece of gear is going to get me over this hump or get me there and very rarely does that i mean for people that have vision and they can i really identify how this thing will help and how that's missing in what they already have but the the thing is is a lot of times it's not missing in what people already have it's just (laughs) the Minutemen, one of my favorite bands they always had this they have this song where there's a lyric like let the product sell themselves <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and and this kind of this thing of like you can get so caught up in the marketing of something it, it can make you think that you you need that when you kind of already have it in a lot of ways wow. yeah with what you already have you know what i mean is there any plans to put like a book together or yeah i mean there's all there's the grand idea of yeah doing a book a couple there's there's one that um i'm working on where i want to use um, a panoramic camera yeah and i'd imagine that that one would happen before kind of the bigger idea of the 10 years with one camera one lens like i encourage everybody who shoots a lot or who's really trying to i guess grow in in their craft of shooting is like it was huge for me to look at you know i looked over 300 rolls of film wow. for the last 10 years wow. to try to to try to pick out like i said that that i needed at least 15 and so to whittle all that down to try to figure out like what is this wow. what is the narrative what is the theme mm-hmm. of all this stuff and i'm shooting anything and everything but but it was through that process of making proof sheets going through it my friend thomas campbell gave me the best advice which was huge for me because he helped me edit. Um, he was like, look, at, I don't want to see all this proof sheet. He was like, here's what you do. You just kind of, you just go through them and things that catch your interest, just mark them, mark them, start whittling it down and see what it wants to be, you know? Wow, and through that process, 
it was really cool. It, it became a mirror into my practice, into what I'm trying to get at. You see what you're up to, basically. And in doing that, it was really enlightening. I was like, wow, I've tried to shoot this a lot of times and it's never worked. I should give up on that idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, and um, so I encourage people to look at their work, look at all of it and kind of have it show you what um, gives you a good insight of what you're up to, you know, and you can kind of from there start to make us, you can assess from there how you want to move forward, you know, and if there's, there's certain things like that I saw where I'm like, okay, I'll give that up and start like, man, okay, this is what this wants to be. Let me hone in on this and try to develop this more, you know, and and I found a lot of themes. Yeah. I've got folders of just themes, stuff that I just always gravitate and shoot subconsciously, not even knowing yeah. it. And then I'm like, wow, like always shooting. I love seeing people reading the print, you know, mm-hmm. like a book, not the phone, you know. And when I see that, I would shoot, not even think I'm working on anything. But now that I see it, I'm like, I'm going to keep with that. So you get yeah. themes that become kind of parts of your, if, you know, if you shoot the way that, like, that I shoot, where you're just kind of, I don't even know what it is. You're just shooting. <laughs> I mean, you're shooting your life. You're shooting your life. And so it's fun to have those little things too, where you're like, oh, I can add on to this. Here's another one. Becomes yeah. almost like a scavenger hunt. Because for me, what I love about photography um, and how it works and fits in perfectly with me playing music and skating is all traveling and stuff. You always have downtime. Yeah. yeah. And there's very, you know, such a fun way to take in a new um, city or country or anything through the lens. Just walking around, just seeing, mm-hmm. especially when we're touring and, and, you know, playing music and you've got sound check at two o'clock and then doors don't open till 10. Yeah, you don't go yeah. on until 1130 or whatever. And you're hanging with everybody. And you're, you might be the only skater and <laughs> yeah. it's like fun to be shooting. You know what I mean? And so in editing, depending on how you shoot, um, you see little things like that. Like, Oh, I'm going to keep with this idea and I'm going to keep yeah. it. But, but I would love to do a book where it's just kind of your, kind of like the, what I, the 10 years with one camera, one lens and the themes of that, do a whole book with that. Dude, I love um, that. I love but, that idea. But um, but that's a lot. You know, you got to shoot a lot to get a little. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's the crazy part. Yeah. So we'll stay tuned. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't give up. Yeah. You might want to give up. <laughs> Another 10 years and the team still hasn't done this. 20 years with one yeah. camera. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. <laughs> We'll be right back with a listener question for Ray right after this message from our sponsor. Support for Analog Talk comes from Polaroid. Use the promo code ANALOGTALK10 on your first purchase on film at polaroid.com. All right, guys, this is the part of the show where we take a question from one of our listeners. And this week's question comes from Jake Aaron Photography. And he asks, who was slash is your favorite skate photographer to work with? Oh, to work with. Yeah. Oh, I, well, I missed that last part. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, my man, Anthony Acosta, we always, we did a interview for the skateboard mag. They're no longer around, but um, forget how many years ago. And that was one of the funnest interviews to work on because, you know, I've been friends with Anthony before doing that, but just 
when you're working on a project together and you get a chance to hang out so much and and what was really fun about that too is that Anthony's a ripper, man. So <laughs> a lot of times we'd get to a spot and he'd get it cooking. <laughs> he'd already be ripping, and then I'll, and so that would motivate me, you know, which is pretty rare in in a uh, rare experience with the and it's and it's not that other photographers don't skate. But when it's, but you know, Anthony used to be sponsored. Yeah. Anthony was a sponsored skateboarder that kind of concentrated a little more at one, at some point, concentrated a little more with shooting photos, but never gave up skating. So he's still skating at a high level. And so that was really fun experience. That was the first time where like I'm skating and being pushed by the photographer. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> he's not letting you fake it. I'm just I'm so so I'm just I'm more saying that was a fun experience. That that question reminded me of the uniqueness of that experience. Yeah. You know. It's great. Man, I also love your story of uh working with Spike when you realize that like coming to a spot at a certain time is like like a thing, you know, uh, lighting and all yeah. that stuff. I love I love those moments when things click. Like it's like mm. one of my favorite things. Yeah, and and Spike shot my first Transworld interview. I think my first interview that I had gotten as a pro, Spike shot it. Wow. And yeah, and it was a lot of like, all right, Ray, let's go to the spot. Let's go check it out and it'd be like noon or something and I'd be like ready to get the trick and he's like okay cool let's want to go eat or something yeah. like we'll come back <laughs> we'll come back at around five or something yeah. I was like, Wait. it's that golden hour yeah he knew um a lot of guys would just go raw and just be like let's get it yeah you know? that's fine awesome. so, okay so we got two more questions for you ray all right if you could only have one camera like your desert island camera the rest of your life what would it be and why yeah so it'd be my trusty m6 like a m6 Nice. Because it's funny because that's how I function now. <laughs> I just I just shoot with that thing and and yeah, with the trusty thirty five Simacron. Beautiful. It's a it's a eighties version. Oh no, I'm sorry. Was well, eighties, but it's Canadian. Oh, the Canadian one. Say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the Canadian thirty five. I love that thing. Nice and small. But you have the black one, right? Yeah, yeah. but you know what's interesting? Uh, you know what I feel about rangefinders is that. The magnification determines what lens functions the best oh. on that body. Yeah. And so I, I feel like there's only one focal length that functions the best for each uh, magnification. And so, I, I, you know, I think a big part of the 35 being the, the lens that I ended up just keeping on uh, my camera on the M6 when I had the 50 and the, and the 35 was that with the 0.72, it just was comfortable where the frame lines landed. I could see everything, all the corners, but I could see past them too, because yeah. that's the beauty of a rangefinder. Mm -hmm. You can get an idea of what's getting ready to come yeah. in the frame or whatever, or what's, what you want to include, you know? But if I had a 0.85, which I did for a little bit, I didn't like the 35 on a 0.85. That magnification mm. pushed, the, pushed the frame lines out of my view. Oh, okay. I couldn't see the corner. Yeah. And it had a different feel. The 50 sat a little bigger with the 0.85. And I felt like the 50 was the sweet spot, you know, a 0.58. Because I have a buddy that has a 0.58. And that makes his 35 look like a 50 on a 0.72. The point, oh, no, I'm sorry, 6.8, I think. 
one of those there's like a six eight or five i think it's five eight actually yeah, i think it's five but but that makes the that makes the the 28 fit closer to a 35 on a on a um, wow. 0.72 so anyways like so going back to the desert island camera yeah, yeah. and everything it's like that is why i love that setup it's a 0.72 with the 35 that just sits it functions the best on that but that's just how i see that's how i see the world too though i just see it in a 35 mm -hmm. so i'd have no problem with that camera because that's how i'm functioning to this day that is that is the only thing i'm using perfect <laughs> good answer the second part of the question is any white whale cameras anything you're dying to try you haven't got to shoot yet Maybe some large, medium, large um, format. Um, I mean, I'm not gonna lie; it would be super fun to shoot eight by ten. Yeah. But eight by ten color. Yeah. That would be so fun. I'm not a color guy, but I would love to see color in like a huge, large yeah. format like yeah. that. That's good. That's a great answer. Yep. Love that. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Ray, this has been amazing. Thank you for taking the time to chat with us. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me on. This is super cool. I'm excited to check out. I'm just getting hip to you guys, so I'm excited to check out the past podcast. There's some good ones out there. Man. Yeah. <laughs> well, super honored. Thanks, you yeah. guys. Yeah. Where can everybody check check you out? Do you have a website? I know you, Instagram, obviously, but yeah, I'm just Instagram, cool. and I'm pretty bad at it. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much it. And and excited about excited about doing some scanning and putting up more photos. Yes, please. So, and that book, um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Right on, you guys. Thanks, Ray. We'll see you in the next one. Bye. Bye. All right, first off, Chris and I would like to thank Ray for coming on the show. What an absolute honor. Like, I've been following your career, Ray, for as long as I can remember. Definitely a huge fan of your skating, of your music, of your photography. Like, uh, I'm just so stoked that we got you on the show. I know Chris is as well, but this is a huge moment. Thanks, Ray. Really appreciate it. Uh, guys, we forgot to drop our socials at the end of this episode like we normally do. I'm sure you know by now where we are. I'll leave those linked in the show notes as they are all the time. Guys, that's going to take me to Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash analog talk. We've got a bunch of stuff over there, some Patreon after shows, Patreon show exclusives, and then also for just a buck, you can get the show two days early. So it comes out every Monday morning and uh, that's, you know, two days before Wednesday when Wednesday's our normal drop day. So there's a bunch of stuff over there. Patreons who already help support the show, guys, thank you so much. Chris and I appreciate you and, you know, you free up that little bit of extra time for us to, to make this all possible. All right, guys, so until next week, uh, yeah, we'll see you soon. Later. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.